Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Real Wealth, Real Health, the show that empowers you with insights, information, and inspiration to achieve your version of financial wellness. Learn how to balance living a full life today with planning for the future. This podcast is brought to you by Alpha Investing, a real estate-centric private capital network that provides exclusive investment opportunities to its members. And now, here are your hosts, Adapia Dorico and Daniel Coca. Hello, welcome to another episode of Real Wealth, Real Health. My guest today is Evan Holiday. Evan is the founder and CEO of Holiday Ventures, a firm focused on creating and investing in workforce, affordable, and mixed income communities. Their mission is to create quality housing opportunities and empower their residents to realize their full potential. Affordable housing is a more pressing issue than ever across America, and more and more people are starting to get on board with the idea. In our episode, Evan shares how he approaches affordable housing and creating community-oriented spaces that allow residents to live and to thrive. In fact, he's coined the term attainable housing to help remove the stigma that's usually associated with affordable housing. We break down the two key examples that his companies worked on, artist housing and housing for people in recovery, and share some practical tips for financing, sustainable development, and creating a win-win-win for investors, partners, and community members. This is such a special episode, and I think it's a wonderful way to end the podcast for the year 2022 on an upbeat note. There is so much good that we can do as investors, as developers in the real estate space for people who do require and who can thrive from better housing. And we can do that for them. So please enjoy this episode. And thank you so much for being part of Real Wealth, Real Health for the year 2022. Big blessings. If you're listening in 2022, and if you're listening later, then same thing. Big blessings. Thank you for all your support and enjoy this really inspiring and wonderful episode. All right. Hi, Evan. Welcome to the podcast. Yes. Thank you for having me. I am very excited to have you. It has been well over two years since I first met you. We met at the best ever real estate conference right before COVID. And I really specifically remember thinking that you were doing such amazing work in this space. And I know you also do some mindset, some mindset work that we we can touch on. Everyone knows that I'm very forward and open about my, about spirituality and like the connection to the self. And I remember we really connected on that and really connected also on the importance of bringing all of ourselves to what we do and to do that in service to others. And what I've found, and your prime example of this is you're doing it through the development of housing for people who really need it. And I 
think that it's also really important in the removal of stigma of what we think affordable housing is when we're not informed as to what it really is. So really excited to have this conversation and and like let everyone know what you've been up to and yeah. what you're doing because you're doing such really, truly incredible work. So well, thank you, Adapi. I really appreciate that. And yeah, it has been a crazy two and a half, almost three years now since we first met at Best Ever. And yeah, I'm really excited to dive into impact investing and the work we're doing in affordable housing. I think it's really a lot of fun. It doesn't even feel like work. When you get to have fun, make great returns for yourself, your investors, and have impact in the work you do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important. I think we're all working against some stigma about the slumlord and the, I was on a, I think it was like a Twitch stream with somebody (laughs) a little while ago. They wanted to have me on to talk about branding and some things like that. And, and we were talking about financial investing and, and things. And in the chat, somebody was saying, oh, what should I invest in? Because my 401k is maxed out, my this and that, and the other thing is all maxed out. And somebody in the chat responded and said, become a slumlord. And it just, it just hit me really hard. I thought, yeah. oh, how do I, I mean, they were doing their own chat thing, but I was like, no, that's not, no, that's not right. They're such good people. Yeah, exactly. Ah, so anyway, so with, that is some of the stigma that we as investors are undoing and you're really undoing. So, you know, let's just go there. Yeah, that that is a huge topic. I think, honestly, I think that's something that unfortunately there were slumlords out there for, for many years, for many decades, and we've all had to kind of combat that stigma. But I, I think the the really powerful thing about, I feel like today's world is becoming very competitive from from the owner's perspective. And so that is really kind of that competitive nature of having to go after the same deals or the same land or development. And and all these different factors are leading to a much better community and a much better product for the end user, the the resident. So I think that's the exciting thing is we're now, you know, part of the the next wave of what what real estate and what community should look like. And it it, it becoming much more overlapped, whereas there was like a disconnect previously. There was, you know, landlords were seen as, you know, hey, let's collect rent and totally just abandon the property and not ignore it. And now today it's like, really, you have to pay attention to your property. You have to pay attention to your residents. You have to also make placemaking and community, not just treated as a building, but treated as people, as individuals, as community. And how can you help the community? And that will also in turn help your bottom line. I just want to highlight real quick. There was, I believe his name is Daryl Carter, Avanath Capital. They have done a really unique model, which I'd love to try to replicate at some point, but they decided in all their, they do a lot of acquisition of workforce or affordable housing. And they decided to, they wanted to figure out a way to give equity and give incentive towards homeownership for the residents that are in rental housing. And so they would say, Hey, if you are on time, you know, every month that you're on time, we'll set aside 5% of your rent paycheck And we'll basically accumulate over time as you pay on time every month. And whenever you leave and go towards potential home ownership, that can go towards your down payment. And what they found is not only does that help give equity and incentive, and it gives a much better resident and a a tenant that gives takes pride and ownership in where they're living, but also they had way less turnover. And so that 5% cost to their bottom line actually ended up paying back tenfold because their turnover costs were so expensive 
that they just wiped out the majority of their turnover costs by doing that. So I think there's, there's fun, creative ways where you can really like have a massive impact and a benefit to your residents and create a win-win for you and your investors. Wow. That's an incredible model. Wow. That's amazing. I, I like that. First of all, that people are finding those creative ways that really come from a place of wanting to help people, because we all know that the biggest problem, well, before all these interest rate hikes, the biggest problem blocking people from home ownership was the inability to save for a down payment. And now there's that plus interest. Right. And so that's in a way like that forced savings, which if we don't see it, and it, it builds in the background, then yeah, we kind of wake up one day and say, oh, I actually have enough to, to do something meaningful. Well, what kind of programs are you running? Let's talk about some of the things that you've been working. I know you have two recent projects, very different from one another. I would love to dive into those because the model that you are, that you're bringing forward is also unique and has been making a massive impact in your communities. Yes, definitely. So I think really our... Our mission, our ethos at our company, Holiday Ventures, is really centered on how can we make a dent in affordable housing and how can we really, how can we help our residents one day get out of affordable housing? And so how we do that is we focus from day one of working on projects. We put a lot of intention into our design and the buildings and the community from a physical standpoint and from a services standpoint in creating that community support, that network, and helping our residents thrive beyond putting four walls and a roof over their head. And so we, from the design side, really like from day one, we say we have brainstorming as an entire team. We have charrettes with our design team. And we say, hey, look, what kind of building are we going to create? What kind of layout? What kind of amenities? What kind of interiors? What kind of units? What type of resident or what demographic are we specifically targeting here within this micro neighborhood? And then also globally, like, like we're working on one, for example, coming up that's specific for artists. We're, we're targeting artist housing. That's in part of our pipeline, but... I just want to highlight that because that's an underserved population within affordable housing. And so we had to think about every single amenity type and creating a community around and, you know, creating creative amenity spaces so our artists could be able to do their art and also create services around educating on how to run a business. Because mm -hmm. that is a big part of being an artist that a lot of artists sometimes never have an opportunity to learn. And so bringing in nonprofits, bringing in a local art university and helping make all of that happen. And so, and another project just recently talked about and one I'm really excited about, and we got to work on with Todd is Shelby House in partnership with Samaritan Recovery Community. This has been a really just pr probably one of the most proud projects I've ever been where we were able to partner with a nonprofit that was doing already doing really impactful work in substance abuse recovery services. They're helping individuals. Most 99% of their clients are coming out of homelessness. They're in an urban location in Nashville, but they, they realize they're like, we have outdated facilities and we're over capacity. They had to turn down a lot of people and they, they also had just dilapidated buildings. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to figure out, they're like, we have this great downtown location, but we don't know what to do with it. And we, and we need a new building. And so we figured out a creative solution where we could say, hey, we can build you a brand new building, more than double your capacity. They're now going from 50 beds to 132 beds. And in the process, uh, build 195 affordable housing units right next door as part of a master plan development. 
and their graduates of their recovery program get first access to the most deeply affordable units in the affordable housing. And so creating win-wins like that, where, you know, now they have a building to more than double their services and, and they don't have any debt on that. And that's so powerful for a nonprofit and they get recurring income and revenue stream from the affordable housing and it's mission aligned to what they're doing. So just trying to think from day one, how do we do projects like that where we can help create a win-win-win for all the partners and the community and our investors? And I think that's that's the projects we really shine in and that's really what we focus in on. And it's just a lot of fun. It it makes it not feel like work. Yeah, I can I can see that in in your in your expression in in your whole being when you talk about it. And so I have a couple of of questions and like one of them in is like in a way, it's like, why hasn't this ever been done before? And the answer that comes to my mind is, well, maybe it wasn't in the realm of the efficiency, like knock it like that slumlord type of like knock it out as fast as possible. And like, why would somebody go to so much trouble to put all these moving parts and pieces together? Because what you're describing isn't just, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously when you do real estate development, you do feasibility studies, there's a lot of work anyway that goes into it. In hearing you, it's like, wow, there's so many other pieces and parts. Why, in a way, like the really candid is like, why would somebody bother to do all of this? <laughs> yeah. It sounds like all this extra work. And obviously that's not how I feel, but it's not been done before. And is it because there was this idea of just the bottom line before and you couldn't get the money? Like what was, what was it before and what has changed to enable this to happen more? Because there must be other pieces here where other entities have stepped up where funding has stepped in to actually make it be able to be a bottom line driving investment in addition to being human and that triple bottom line of good. Yeah, that's a great question. I think one thing I would say is I think there are other groups out there that are doing amazing work very similar to what we're doing. But I but I will say reality, I think a lot of the work similar to what we're doing, you will see in the nonprofit world because they are they're so focused on the resident empowerment, the resident services, the resident support and network. But I think I think really to to answer your question, I think what we're doing is not for the faint of heart because of that. Exactly what you hit on is like, I wouldn't suggest if you are not passionate about affordable housing, do not get in this industry because it is a whole lot of extra work. Yeah. But there are financial incentives built into this for for investors, for developers, for those who want to get into affordable housing. And I think, you know, going back to what we said earlier, like the the best part about our work is we get to know that we're making a difference every day and we're making an impact, but it does, it does take a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy, a lot of brain damage, a lot of gray hairs to be able to go through a lot of public private partnerships. We're working with the government every day. And so you can imagine that doesn't always work on your timeline. No. It doesn't always, the rules change, you know, that the target constantly moves. Yeah. But I think if you're, if you're able to work through that, then you can make a really impactful project and financial incentives are aligned because the government knows also like to be able to jump through or to be able to put in the work to jump through all those hoops is not for everyone. And so they want to make sure developers do have an incentive, a financial incentive to do this. So that's the the great balance of what we do is we can do well by doing good. Yeah. 
Do you feel that it's also from a government perspective, wanting to make sure that people are in it for the right reasons and not just to maybe get some of those financial incentives and then walk away or like, are, what kind of mechanisms are in place to make sure that the people doing it are doing it for the right reasons, will execute and won't just come in and take the grants or and, and basically yeah. leave? Yeah, that's a great question. And we get asked that sometimes when we're working with communities, they want to, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to be neighbors to our developments and they're going to own it, you know, in a lot of ways more so than we will. And really what we bring up to them is we have within the world of affordable, there are so many checks and balances. I think over the, you know, over the decades, there have been people that have taken advantage of the program. So now they've built in these checks and balances where, you know, our investor checks over our shoulder, the state agency checks over our shoulder, the local municipality, the the city always checks over our shoulder, our lender checks over our shoulder. So there's all these groups checking to make sure we are following the guidelines. And we also surround ourselves with great counsel who know the tax credit rules way better than we do. But it's because we know there are serious ramifications if you don't follow the rules. So we are very intent on making sure we do. But that's a great point is like the you want to make sure you weed out the ones that are, you know, just in it for the returns and and immediately want to to get out of it. And I and I would say too, you asked about like are there incentives or financing lined up for this? I think the one thing we figured out in in the projects we've worked on with Holiday Ventures is financing will align itself projects with a great story, with a great narrative, with a great impact. And that's what we figured out with Shelby House and partnering with SRC. We realized we're like we have a really, really awesome story here, being able to help substance abuse recovery, creating a bridge to affordable housing, creating a cash flow for the nonprofit, like all of these win-wins in an urban location where, you know, normally should go top dollar for a market rate developer, being able to create all those win-wins allows for funding, like financing groups from the state to the federal, to the the local level, like they want to be aligned with those projects. Mm. So that's something we really found is if you are intentional about your development and the and the story and the impact behind your project, then funding will follow. Wow. So even though it's not efficient, right? Like you said, it's like <laughs> all the brain damage, it's not efficient. It's rewarding personally and, and for the work that you're doing. And people want to align to this kind of work, right? In a, in a way, if, if you're doing the work, then the funding will say, I'm looking for the right person that's going to execute on, on this vision. And that is not a small thing to say, because sometimes maybe we think, well, there's no money out there to help people in need. And I just have always thought that cannot possibly be true, that there is not money out there that wants to be put to good use. It's more that it might not know where to go. And there's not right. anyone who wants to step up to do the work, right? To give them a reason, and that's so amazing that that you're doing this. It it all makes sense as as you say it, but you also tied it into story. That it's I would really like to pull on that string a little bit because story and storytelling is I mean humans are we're built on on story whether we know it or not. That you know the hero's journey for those of us who who do any that personal yeah. work and or love Star Wars and love, you know, movies, movies like that, that are built on this idea that we are on, we follow a journey and we follow a narrative and we're actually wired 
we're actually wired for it. And Joseph Campbell did work on this to, to really show that throughout history, I mean, humans tell the same type of story over and over and over again. So how do you tell the story? And what is the story that you're telling? And what is the story that resonates with your investors? Yeah, great question. I, I think the story always changes based on the audience. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, and I think that's important. Like that's important to, to delineate that depending on who you're talking to, depending on the setting, depending on what their interests are, what their motives are, you know, what you're trying to convey, what you're trying to convince them of. I think that all plays into it. But I, I think really for us, for our investors, honestly, at this point, it's really been fascinating to me. I've been in affordable for almost 12 years now and to see the switch in the last like two years of now, it's almost like I don't even need to sell. Like everybody's like, wait, you do affordable? Okay, we need to talk. Like it, it's flipped because now the market as a whole is gathering. They, everybody, there's a consensus that everybody understands we need affordable and we need it now. And it's the right thing to do. And the market's not going to do it on its own. So we need to all collectively figure out how to make this happen. And so that's been the the fun and exciting thing for me is my job used to have to be like, hey, look, we need this. It's, you know, here's who it's supporting. Uh, police, firemen, teachers, service level, entry level, administrative, like this is the backbone of our community. You know, this is who we all depend on on a day-to-day -day basis. And these are people already existing in your community. They're already your neighbors. They're just maybe living in under or in very poor conditions or they're doubling up rooms or, you know, they're just living in very poor conditions or also paying much more than they really should be on rent or mortgage. Mm -hmm. So when families, you know, a lot of families today are paying 50 to 70% of their monthly paycheck on rent that leaves barely anything for food, for, for daycare, for transportation, for insurance, for all the other necessities of raising a family. And so all of our developments, anything affordable is really caps that monthly household cost, household living expenses at 30%, which allows for that savings or investment in other areas of raising a family. And so that's really the story we sell is really just painting a picture of who are we helping? Why does it affect the community? Why do we need affordable housing? But we definitely have seen that that narrative has switched a lot over the years. And recently, this is definitely on a case-by-case -case basis, but I've seen some communities now say, like, you know, communities that would have normally said, don't bring the ghetto to our backyard. Like, don't bring that, you know, those criminals, very negative stigma, very like, based on public housing from the 60s. Right. And now those same communities are saying, hey, I will support your affordable housing development in public. I will tell the newspapers how much I love it. And hey, by the way, can you put some more affordable housing here? Like, can you actually double down? Could you make it even more affordable on the rent level? It's just interesting. Like it's, I've seen a few places where it literally has switched where communities are so for it that they're willing to speak out in favor of it. I think it's because you said this idea of like the 1960s affordable, like quote unquote, the criminals and the drug addicts. And now, now they're, now it's actually the police officers and the nurses. Right. 
And, and I think for, for almost anyone who doesn't invest or doesn't know about it or isn't in this sector at all, that is not what we think about when we think about affordable. When I talk to people about affordable, the most people immediately will say, well, you know, like a voucher program for like inner city, you, you know, and I'm saying, no, that's not actually it. I'm talking about affordable for like regular, regular quality of life for most people. Right. So exactly. it matters more than we all realize when, you know, the headlines about raging inflation and, and what is going on. And, and then it's like, who can't afford to live? Well, regular people that, you know, re like, like, it's not even like, it's it, sometimes it's hard to even say, like, it's everyone, it's yeah. actually everyone. And it's going to yeah. be everyone if we're not careful with rents and like exactly. costs and all of this. Yeah, I think, and we've started to, we've, you know, had many conversations with many different city leaders, community leaders, investors, and really, I think affordable housing works in some circles that understand it, that get it. But we're even trying to, in some cases, depending on the audience again, but depending on the audience, we will call it attainable housing because it's more palatable. It's It doesn't have the negative stigma. And it means to us, it means the same thing, but it's a, it's an easier way to say it and saying, hey, look, we're just creating something that the working class families of this community can attainably afford to pay for. It's attainably priced. And so we try to use that rhetoric and that wording as much as we can. We even like when we do, you know, the newspaper calls, like we will try to use attainable throughout the, the article because we're trying to help rebrand, you know, and get away from some of those negative stigmas. Yeah. I mean, speaking of story there, that's the story about affordable housing and the story about like, you're working with Samaritan house, like the stigma that comes through the stories that are really skewed and mostly incorrect about people. And that's a big job. That's big work to do to change the narrative that's in the culture especially when it's ingrained from so long ago and it's perpetuated through movies and TV shows. Right, and right. Like, and, and we don't even know it until we start to think about it. Like totally kind of off topic, but if you ever watch movies from the 80s or the 70s again, you're like, how was that ever allowed that they're saying this? And, and like, yeah. oh, it's so inappropriate. But we watched those in the 80s, clearly aging myself, I'm an 80s kid. And it was fine. It was normal. No, no big deal. It didn't seem like a big deal. And that's that awareness piece, right? Like when thinking about the mindset and the work that we do to really improve and elevate over and above the conditioning is to bring awareness to like, what is that stigma? Where does it come from? Is it even valid and true? And then yeah. do something about it. And you're doing all of that in a really tangible, in a really tangible way. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the, that goes back to, you know, it's, it's fun what we do because we're, you know, I feel like we're a little, it's, we're a, I forget the expression. We're, we're just like a tiny little voice, mm -hmm. but we're trying to, you know, spread the gospel of attainable and affordable housing and trying to do that through our projects and also our education, our content, you know, getting on podcasts, like, like okay. with you here today, that's, that's the fun thing of what we do, but that's a big part of it is education. Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk about the project that the, the Stonebridge project that involves Amazon, the corporation. Talk a little bit about that because that that's a big deal. I'm curious how yeah. that structured, how it came about. Yeah, definitely. So in summary, Stonebridge Lofts, it's in the Nashville area. It's 311 units. 
new construction, affordable community. And there's also 11,000 200 square feet of commercial retail space. Some of that will be designated for a nonprofit partners of ours that provide community services, resident empowerment services. And really the there's many exciting things I love about this project, but one of the really exciting things is we were able to be the first partner with Amazon's housing equity fund here in Nashville, Tennessee. And that was a huge step. They provided $32 million of below cost capital and a second position that allowed us to be able to provide long-term affordability with the units and really helped fund, you know, construction cost overages, a lot of the the kind of the unknowns that we've been dealing with over the last two years with the pandemic. And so that's been a huge, huge win for us and also a huge win for Amazon and a huge win for Nashville to be able to bring in corporate dollars and in a large commitment of $32 million of Amazon funds into the deal, I think speaks volumes to how, you know, it's not, doesn't need to be publicly funded with private developers. It doesn't need to be just that solution. We can have private corporations also contributing, especially corporations like Amazon, who in a lot of ways, they've done, they've done a lot of a great good for the economy, but they've also, by driving up incomes in certain areas, have also hurt the housing market and it brought you know that ripple effect of really like in Nashville we have a massive housing crisis here along with a lot of countries or a lot of cities across the country and i think this is their way of saying hey look we want to be a part of the solution they committed 2 billion to helping in Nashville, Arlington, Virginia, and Seattle. And so we were able to to help prove the concept here in Nashville. And so that's really exciting. It's also sustainably built, sustainably designed. We're doing to lead energy standards and we're having a solar on the roof. And we'll actually be building a solar, like an education center in the clubhouse. So that way we can teach the, the kids that are living in the community, like, hey, look, this is real time. This is what solar is doing for this community, for your units. And that hopefully will, you know, create the next generation of, of sustainability experts. Wow. Well, I was going to ask about the sustainability, but before I want to make sure that I wanted to ask you this question about private sector investment, because there's obviously government, there's you know public sector. How important is the private sector in housing? Just gen- generally, I mean, especially obviously like a for like attainable all housing, but as you're seeing and in the in going forward in the future, rising rate environment, pretty much we're probably going to expect sustained inflation. Maybe it comes down a little, but we're definitely going to be in an inflationary environment for a while. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons for that to be true. And historically, private the private sector has always stepped in because the public sector can't do everything, but private steps in. How important is that? And yeah, I, I think honestly, I think one of the biggest takeaways for me from that Amazon deal is we need to double down on this and say, hey, you know, let's let's use this first project that we did with a private partnership as a as a prime example and say, you know, take this to other larger corporations that are bringing, you know, five to 10,000 jobs to cities. Like here in Nashville, there's Oracle just announced 8,500 new jobs, high, high paying tech jobs. Mm-hmm. And so we're saying, how can we leverage what Amazon did and get get Oracle to compete too and say hey how how can Oracle help help the be a part of the solution and so and I think also I mean you hit it dead on is like you know we're we're paying six and a half seven percent interest right now for loans 
how can we get other opportunities for lower cost of capital with with private capital, with private corporations that are wanting to do something about it? Mm-hmm. I think that is going to be kind of the next wave. You've seen it, like you've seen it a lot in Seattle and the Bay Area. Apple's done it. Microsoft and Amazon have all invested in those areas, but it's very like market specific. I think as those you know multinational corporations are. Uh, scattered across the U.S., they're realizing like, hey, we need to be helping not just in the Bay Area, but across the country, figuring out affordable housing. So I think I think that is going to be a huge part of the future of affordable housing. Wow. I can see that also playing out with these corporations creating new jobs because they're locating new offices in all these right. other cities. And as you're saying, they drive up inadvertently like un- unintended consequences, but they'll drive up prices because that's the nature of economics, and then in a way that they have the ability, financially, resource based to, to step in and help mitigate that problem. Because I think where it might not be so obvious at first, but you know, like you said, eighty five hundred high paying tech jobs. Well, that sounds fantastic, but there's a whole subset of thousands of people that are in lower paying jobs that right. are going to benefit from you know, like restaurants and small businesses and there's all these other jobs that get created everyone gets really excited about amazon and then they forget that the consequences of them coming in is that the people like that can't afford to live there anymore because of that and so then you know and then they're like oh they're villains now and and really it's really about finding a solution that works for for everybody and i think that's going to play out like you're saying in all these other cities because who else is really going to step in to do that and to support the people that they are giving these higher paying jobs to? Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I think that's very well said. I think, I think they're realizing that and they're like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta do something about this. So yeah, let's, let's push the the next wave <laughs> of, of private corporate investment and in affordable housing. We'll send this episode to everyone. To, to yeah, exactly. all of their offices, For, Fortune all their 500, people. send it out. <laughs> We'll send it to everyone. I did want to touch on the sustainability thing as well. I was I was wondering because you're in development, like where you know Alpha, we do a lot of repositioning, so it's not so much you know it's not so much development. But in the development space, and you and you mentioned lead standards, how important is it? And you're clearly putting a focus on it. Are you putting a focus on it? more than you have to, because there's the lead standards and like maybe what's expected. And then there's going over and above to create sustainability in our lifestyle so that it's not even a word we use anymore. Hopefully one day, it's just how we yeah. live. I'm curious to, to hear how you thought about that and integrated it. Yeah. So a big part of my and our company mission is sustainability. It's tied in designing and developing sustainably. And a big, a big reason for that is I, it, it was some book I read, I think it was in college about how Indians, Indian tribes, they plan, they make decisions based on five generations and mm-hmm. the impact, I think it was five generation. I can't remember the number now, but it was basically the equivalent of saying it was like 250 years from now what is going to be the impact of our decision today? And that really like, that shook me. I was like, whoa, like, that's crazy. I I never thought, like, I thought like thinking five, 10, 20 years out is a long time, like 250, that's a whole nother level. And I think that's something that I took to heart. I was like, we need to be thinking about not just our generation, but multiple generations after us. And how are we taking care of our planet so that 
they can enjoy what we are enjoying today. And so that that really set me on a course of figuring out, like learning more about sustainability. And so really all of our developments, we go above and beyond what is required. And there are, I think the fun thing about what we do is there are creative ways to also make sustainability financially beneficial to us and our investors. And so that's been the fun part is we we figure out like with affordable housing, you can, if you lower your residents' utility bills, they look at 30% of monthly paychecks should go to household living expenses. That is rent and utilities. So if we lower their utilities, they will still net pay 30%. It would just be more rent. So in essence, we can cover a lot of the costs, the initial upfront investment of sustainability. We can cover that with a higher monthly rent amount, but it still nets out to be the same 30% to our residents. So I think thinking creatively like that, and then also looking for incentives. And so like the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA that just passed a couple of months ago, that we're still trying to like, uh, you know, unfold what we can do within that, but they purposely put in a lot of incentives for sustainability, for you know geothermal, solar, mm-hmm. wind, different energy, renewable energy generation, specifically around, they call, I think they're calling them like public good projects. So one of those would be affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And so they're basically saying you can earn upwards of 50, uh, 50 cents on the dollar in tax credits for every dollar you spend on sustainability for new- renewable energy purposes. So if we put in a million dollars worth of solar panels on the rooftop of our buildings, we could day one cover half of that $500,000 with tax credits. And so trying to unpack that, now we're trying to see, well, how can we use that? Like, how can we, you know, use every bit of that uh, and cover our entire roof with solar? And so we're trying to figure out how to be creative, but also be financially smart for us and our investors to say, let's take full advantage of this program. They're clearly incentivizing this. They want developers Mm -hmm. to do this. So how can we be a pioneer in this? And really our goal is within the next three years, we want to be at a point where we are doing net zero development. Mm -hmm. You know, you see fortune 100, fortune 50 companies committing to net zero by 2030. And we're trying to say how, you know, why not, why not us too? Why can't we do that by 2032? Yeah. Wow. Well, I am so excited for what you're doing and I've, I follow you anyway, but now with even more interest about like even just hitting those targets and showing that it can be done also, because one could listen to this and say, that sounds like way more work than I would be willing to put in, which is why if you're an investor, you invest in it, right? And so right. The point of passive investing and aligning values with investment providers in general, like whether it's, you know, financial advisors or real estate. And so I'm so excited that you're out there doing this and showing also other people who might want to get into development who are sitting on the sidelines saying, I don't know, it sounds like a lot of work. Well, if someone else does it, then they might feel like they can do it too. And especially if you're successful and obviously if there's financial incentives, that, that'll bring more people, more people in. So I wish you all the best with that. And and we'll obviously keep in touch about that as, as you're doing it. But before I let you go, I want to ask you one final question that I ask all my guests. And that is, what does wealth mean to you? Wealth means a freedom from restrictions of being able to do and celebrate life with whoever I want and wherever we want and however we want. I think that's the real... For me, that's the real definition of wealth. 
Mm, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing everything that we talked about today. It's encouraging. It's heartening. And I know going into 2023, as you know, people listen and they think about like, you know, their intentions and their goals. I hope that this serves as a really inspirational conversation to know that you're out there doing this. And, you know, I would say for people who are looking for impact investments that hopefully they reach out to you and we'll include links in the show notes, but maybe last thing, maybe that's the best thing is like, where can people reach you if they do want to get in touch? Yes, definitely. You can reach out to me at holidayventures.com. That's H-O-L-L-A-D-A-Y.com. If you're interested in investing, there's a page for that as well. Okay, perfect. I know you're really active on LinkedIn. So everyone who follows me on LinkedIn knows that they'll, they'll find you there too. So again, thank you so much, Evan. This has been just phenomenal. Thank you. Yes, thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Real Wealth, Real Health. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and found it both informative and insightful. We welcome all your questions and your feedback about today's episode. And especially, we welcome your questions about specific topics that you would like us to cover. So shoot us an email at podcast at alphai.com. And if you have a moment, we really appreciate ratings and reviews as it helps us grow our online community and our interactions with you. And we'll also be linking to a number of relevant articles on topics that we might have touched on during our conversations. Some of them are broad, some of them are technical, but we're always aiming to provide information that helps you better understand the mechanics of building this healthy financial foundation, especially if you're looking to do this with real estate. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.